This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. We're on our first seri- our first Sunday on a series called Sin City. If you need a Bible, get your hand up real high. And then go with me to the book of Acts chapter number 20. Acts 20. Keep your hand up real high. I'm, I'm glad all you guests are here. But again, we're talking on a, a, just a brand new series on the area of sin. The word sin itself means to miss the mark. And that phrase is to miss the mark that God set. Not what man set, what God set. And again, I cannot avoid teaching on the confrontational aspects or the truths of the Word of God. We've got to hit these and... Again, it it may make you a little bit uncomfortable, but God wants to help every one of us. And I want to highlight this verse. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. So the Lord wants to bless every one of this. Now, as you're going to the book of Acts, this was the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, as he leads up, I'm going to start in verse 24, but as he's leading up to this, he said, I serve the Lord with humility, with many tears and trials, But I continue to preach the word of God to every one of you that it would lead you to repentance to God and salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you begin to get the Apostle Paul's heart right here. So we begin in in Acts 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me, do or account my life dear to me, so that I may finish the race with joy. And the ministry or the assignment which I received from the Lord Jesus. And that assignment was to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He didn't say he was sent to tell funny jokes and to make you laugh. He wasn't to make you feel good about yourself. He said, I'm here to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25, and indeed now I know that you all among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now, when you see that phrase there that he says I'm clean or innocent of the blood of all men, listen to a couple of these different translations that will help you. The New Living says, if anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. The Amplified says, I am clean, I am innocent, I am not responsible for the blood of any of you. And so what the Lord begins to do here, he begins to give us what a truth will do. And this guy says, I'm going to tell you the truth because I don't want your blood to be upon my hand. Verse 27, for I have not shunned or I have not avoided to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't diminish the counsel of God. I didn't preach only a part of it. If you'll notice, he said, I was sent to preach the whole counsel of God. Not a quarter of it, not a half of it, but the whole counsel of God. And I believe that's still very, very important that we do that. Verse number 28. Therefore, take heed to yourself. Pay close attention to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now again, the church is the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
but he puts men in charge to be overseers. And it's interesting right here, he said the price that was paid for the church was the blood of Jesus. An incredible cost for the church. Now in verse 29, 30, and 31, he gives great warnings and he says in verse 29, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Most translations for savage wolves says false teachers. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things or misleading things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So he's giving warning in his time that there'll be ones that won't want to teach you or lead you to the things of Jesus. It'll be more about a popularity contest. More about me. And you know what? That can be that way in, in, in many areas. Not only the teachers of the Bible, praise and worship leaders, youth pastors, people in any dimension in life, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. And when I use a, a, a platform for, for my own benefit, for my own good, you've missed the mark of what God's called you for. And he's warning about this, and he goes on to say, Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the whole word of His grace, which is able to build you up. And so he goes on and he gives us warning. He gives us warning. And those warnings are to help us, to keep us on track. But if you study the Bible, this wasn't the first time that he had put men and women in positions of overseers. I want you to go with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 3. Ezekiel chapter 3. And what you'll begin to do is you'll begin to see the, the same thing here that he talked about with Paul. But he uses this prophet named Ezekiel to do the warning. And we'll start in verse 10 of Ezekiel 3. Let me get there. Verse 10. Moreover, the Lord said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words, that I may speak to you and hear with your ears. Now the first thing he said, Ezekiel, he said, the word of God's got to sink deep into your heart. And the first thing you got to do is you got to hear with your ears. And why he was addressing Ezekiel in this way, he said, listen, buddy, you've got to start living the Word of God before you preach the Word of God. Because for me to get up here and tell you to live in a different way than I'm living, I'm a hypocrite. And so there's strong warning right here to him, and he's telling him, get the Word on the inside of you. Verse 11, and go get to the captives, to the children of your people, and speak to them and tell them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. So he tells Ezekiel his assignment. He said, you're to preach the things of heaven to them. If they hear, that's up to them. If they reject it or refuse it, that's up to them. Same chapter, and I'm going to skip down a little bit to verse number 16. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. 
Now, when you study what he's talking about here, the watchman, his, his duty was to warn. And it was a very dangerous job because if he failed to warn the entire church of the things that was going to happen, the whole church could get wiped out or the whole city. And so he raises up these watchmen. Now look what he goes on to tell Ezekiel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. Now this was the instruction. He said, I'm going to give you a word and you tell them. You warn them from me. Now I pray truth begins to impact you here on these next few verses. You may put your spiritual seatbelt on you because I want you to see some things here today. Verse 18. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. Now that word iniquity means literally he will die in practice sin. It will be sin that he's beginning to live in. Now there's really two types of sin when you look at. There's the sin of ignorance, that you just don't have a clue that you're sinning. And then there's the sin that's called intentional sin, where you deliberately know what you're doing. Now he warned him here and he said, you tell the wicked man unless he shall die in his iniquity. Now look how he ends. But if you fail to warn him, his blood I will require at your hand. This was the same terminology that he used with the Apostle Paul in Acts 20. He said, if you fail to warn him, his blood will be upon your hand. Meaning, I will hold you responsible and I will hold you accountable. Verse 19. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. He will refuse, he refuses to repent, and he keeps on sinning, and he dies in his iniquity. But look at the last part. But you have delivered your soul. You can wash your hands clean. That responsibility is now no longer on you. Verse 20. Now, this is the one that really gets my attention. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and he commits iniquity. So, some interesting words here. When a righteous man turns from his righteousness. How does a righteous man become righteous? Well, in 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, I am the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. So when I give my heart to Jesus, Jesus qualifies me as righteous. So literally stating right here, this guy is a guy who's confessed Jesus as Lord of his life, but he turns from his righteousness and he begins to live in practice sin. So what I begin to look at here, this is a man who's living in a false pretense. He thinks he's saved, but yet he's walking in iniquity and he's walking in sin. 
Keep reading. And he commits iniquity. And I lay a stumbling block before him. He shall die because you did not give him warning. One of the reasons right here that he does not turn from his sin is because the watchman failed to give him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered. His righteous acts, his righteous behaviors will not be remembered. So this tells me something. You don't want to die in your sin. Wow. Keep reading. But his blood I will require at your hand because you failed to warn him. Now, there's a lot of people that get into the ministry and they don't realize what the Word of God says. And so when I begin to look at this stuff, this stuff right here is the stuff that will keep me up at night. And again, my responsibility is preach the Word to you. And so again, I'm going to tell you the truth and I'm going to tell you the truth in love because you begin to get a glimpse of Father God's heart and you begin to see the accountability that He's going to hold me at. Thank you. Verse 21. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin. That's interesting here. In the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, it calls sin, sin. There's a lot of churches that will say, let's not talk about sin. We don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. We want everybody going home feeling good about themselves. But it's interesting, the Bible calls sin, sin. And so he tells us, if we don't warn of sin, we haven't done our job. But look how he ends, verse 21. Also, you will have delivered your soul. And so again, it's my job to tell you the truth. It's my job to do that, to confront it. What you do with it's up to you. Same chapter, the last verse, verse 27. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. He who has ears, or he who hears, let him hear. And he who refuses, let him refuse. For they are a rebellious house, or they are hard-hearted. So he's telling Ezekiel again, Your job is just tell them the truth. Your job is to warn them. Now, I want you to turn, and I'm going I'm to talk about this as we go there. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. So I, I, I continue just to sit and I meditate on the thought, the righteous man turns from his righteousness. So that tells me that that can happen. I mean, I see it in the Bible, it's very clear, so... I begin to think about people within the Bible that we would view as really righteous men or women, really godly people. And I begin to think of King David. The Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. 
And so we know he was a, a great and mighty man of God. He loved the Lord. But there was a time in his life where he got into awful, awful, awful sin. And he, he committed three sins. All three are found in Exodus 20, which is the Ten Suggestions. The Ten Commandments, okay? I just threw that in there to wake you up. The first sin that he committed was Exodus 20, verse 17. Thou shalt not covet another man's wife. The next one is Exodus 20, 14. Thou shalt not commit adultery. If you don't know what adultery is, if you're married and you hop in the sack with another woman or man, you've committed sexual sin. The third one, Exodus 20, verse 13, Thou shalt not commit a murder. King David did all three of those. And what's interesting about all those, it all began with his eyes. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. In the book of Job, chapter 31, verse 1, Job said this, I made a covenant to not look or gaze upon another woman intensely. So now we begin to look at King David and you have the thought, and what was wrong with this godly king? How could he do those things? And it's easy for us to become very judgmental and critical. But let me ask you something. You don't have to raise your hands. How many ever coveted something that wasn't yours? How many have ever committed adultery? Whether it was the physical act, Jesus said if you actually even look upon a woman, gaze upon a woman with wrong thoughts, you've done it in your heart. Oh, pastor, that hurt. Now listen, guys. I'm not excluded from that. How many of you in here have ever committed murder in your heart? Whether you really, really, really wanted someone to pay for what they did to you. Or you actually said, I pray they die. See again, when we really look at it, we're all David's. And so David goes on a huge extremes to try to cover his sin. This woman named Bathsheba that he gets into sexual sin with, she tells him one day, I'm pregnant. And you know what he says? Craporific. That's not good. He didn't say that. That's my paraphrase edition. Not good. And so he thinks, okay, this is what I'll do. I'll bring her husband, Uriah, home on a, on a furlough and make it appear like it's him. But it didn't happen that way. And so David manipulates the murder of a man and he tells his general Joab, he said, you put him on the front line on the battle knowing that he would die. Anytime we have to sneak around to do anything, that's probably a good sign that you know you violated your conscience. 
See, if you're in an in a, in a affair, and that's probably the, the good way of saying it, with another woman or man, if you don't think it's wrong, why don't you just go home and tell your wife, hey, I'm hanging out with Lucy Lucy today. Brilliant, Pastor, you're trying to get me killed. Anytime I got to sneak around, it's not good. So we jump into 2 Samuel, chapter 11, verse 22. So the messenger went and he came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah, the Hittite, is dead also. You know what David's thinking? The plan worked to perfection. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you. Don't let this be viewed as evil. This is just the misfortunes of war. For the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to the house, and she became his wife and bore him a son, and they lived happily ever after. See, you know what David's thinking right here? This is human nature. I got away with it. I got away with it. I got away with it. But look at the last part of verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. This is the only account in the Bible that you can find out that David displeased the Lord. This displeased the Lord. Numbers 32.23 says this. Anytime you sin against the Lord, your sin will find you out. So I begin to look at that phrase, your sin will find you out. Literally stated, you'll reap what you sow. So we know through the story that King David goes a whole year, but he would never repent. He would never, he's acting like, man, I got away with it. So God gives us time. And God's desire is that every one of us on our own, we come to a place where we repent. But if we don't repent, what happens? Turn a page to the next chapter, chapter 12, verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan. Now Nathan would be viewed as a watchman or overseer. Then the Lord sent to Nathan to David. And he came to him and he said, There were two men in one city. One rich, David, and the other poor, Uriah. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. You know what that's talking about? At that time he had five wives. You would think that'd be enough. He had five wives. 
But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him, with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now, the keeping of a lamb in the Jewish custom was like a house pet. And it was considered an unthinkable to steal someone's little lamb. So now remember, Nathan is telling David the story. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord who lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. He goes ballistic. He gets angry. But little does he know, he's prophesying his own punishment. And he said, he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now David's intent about all this. Now watch this in verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, you're the man. And I softened my voice there because I believe that's exactly how Nathan did it. I don't believe he pointed a finger at him and said, you know good, you're sorry. I believe his heart was broken. I believe when he looked at him, it was like, I want to lead you to a place that restores you back to the things of God. You're the man. And look what he goes on to say. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your masters and your masters' wives into your keeping and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. If that had not been enough or too little, I would also have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. You have killed him with the sword of the people and him. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. Now when you look at this, it was as if Nathan was saying, you took the word of the Lord lightly. And it would have been easy for David to fire back and said, Nathan, soften your message. Why would you talk to me like that? I'm your friend. But you know what I believe Nathan knew? Only the truth sets people free. Only the truth helps. And so he confronts David. He confronts David with the sin of his life. And watch the response in verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. And here's a question that begins to rise off of this. What would have happened if Nathan would have never confronted King David? 
Would he continue to act like he got away with it? See, in, in Nathan's position, with King David being the king over him, he could have executed Nathan at that very moment. And Nathan knew that. Nathan knew that when you confront people with their sin, oftentimes they'll shoot arrows at you with their mouth. Oftentimes they'll go on a fault-finding spree. Oftentimes it'll be continued dripping of rejection and criticism. But yet this man named Nathan loved him enough to confront him. And when you see how King David responded, I've sinned against the Lord. Let me ask you something. How do you respond? Because I've seen how many people respond. They leave the church. And I don't want to hear it. But when I look back at what he said through Ezekiel and the Apostle Paul, I have no choice but tell you the truth in love. Because I don't want your blood to be upon my hand. And so I begin to look at a statistic months ago and it began to show what happens within the church when the overseers quit preaching about sin. It's alarming. It's staggering. But what happens when we quit preaching or confronting sin, there is no godly sorrow. And without godly sorrow, there is no true repentance. And without true repentance, my heart goes hard. And when my heart goes hard, ultimately... You die in your sin. Wow. I'm going to end in Proverbs 28, and, and I'm going to have them pull it up because I'm going to read it in the message. But before we get there, I want to read you this letter. And this was written to an overseer. And it says, I've been married to my husband for 20 years. I love him, but now I'm probably going to have to leave him, even though I don't want to. I couldn't figure out why this man of God who goes to church with me regularly would begin to deteriorate so much in character. He became dishonest with me, and a wall grew between us. Soon he became a stranger to our whole family. I couldn't put my finger on it. I prayed and did everything I could to try to understand why he was coming apart. Then I discovered why. He'd been hooked on pornography ever since we were married and before, sometime before that. He still claims to be a Christian. He goes to church with us, but he refuses to give it up. This man is about to lose his family, his home. He claims to be born again and on his way to heaven. Do you think he needs a pat on the back and a word of assurance? Does he need to hear some preacher say, you're okay, Jesus loves you? No, never. He needs a Nathan. Someone will tell him, you're the guilty man. He needs to be awakened to have the fire of the Holy Ghost lit underneath him. Otherwise, he'll be turned over to a sin. And eventually, he'll be destroyed. I want you to look here at Proverbs 28, verse 13. This is in the message. You can't whitewash your sins and get by with it. 
You find mercy by admitting and leaving them. A tender-hearted person lives a blessed life, but a hard-hearted person lives a hard life. So you begin to see the heart of God right here. God loves us. And as much as he loved King David, still King David wasn't exempt from this, and neither are we. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.